0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central.
1: Well, if at first you don't succeed you, you probably should give up, but I can't give up. (laughs) I can't. So I've got it. You know, when you fall off the bicycle, I know what they tell you, get back up, get back up. Don't quit. You can do it. Don't, don't. But sometimes, you know, maybe you should just say, you know what, throw away the bicycle. I'll just, I'll just, I'll use something else, right? Man, what, what just happened? What, what, What was that? If you just heard the last live broadcast what was that Law and Gospel Redo part 16 what was that ladies and gentlemen I it was a complete and total disaster but here we are for part 17 and we're going to do this so 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 let's do this correctly Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, August the 12th, 2023. It is currently 6.30 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio, the studio that brings you train wrecks, mistakes, flaws, that brings you the most organic and real podcast out there because there is no editing, there's no safety net. What happens is what happens, and sometimes... It doesn't go so well. I mean, it was such a good idea, right? Hey, it's Saturday afternoon, fast approaching Saturday evening. We need to do a little bit more work. In our Law and Gospel series, we're reviewing audio from Issues ETC. I mean, they're like, I don't know how many people listen to their radio program, but their podcast is like in the top 1% of all podcasts in the world. I mean, they are the professionals. They are the ones you look to. Like someone like me, I'm a nobody, insignificant. I mean, they bring in lots of money with donations and and people pay for some of their content. I mean, they're the go-to people. So, you know, you can't go wrong reviewing their audio right I mean it's gonna be perfect and well man we reviewed uh, we reviewed one of their segments on law and gospel and I don't really know what to tell you it, it didn't really deal, deal with the thesis it I I don't even know and we found out that Catholics aren't really Catholic I, I guess the Pope is not really Catholic I don't know what that was it was the whole thing was a train wreck of epic proportions but I I, I couldn't move on I could I I, I, I I was like, what do I do now? Do I do I do I? I and I'm like, no, I, I've got to turn around and do part 17. I've got to fix this. <laughs> I've got I've got even for if for my own mental health. I I've, I can't I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't I can't live this way. I, I cannot live this way. So I ran downstairs for a second to look at the UFC. It's fight night for UFC. And, and I watched that for a second. I'm like, OK, get back upstairs and let's have a different kind of fight. Let's fight to try to produce a program. That'll be actually worthwhile and actually beneficial for someone. So are you ready, ladies and gentlemen? We continue our study of the proper distinction between law and gospel. We're utilizing the book, God's No and God's Yes, The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther. We have come to thesis number five. There's 25 theses in this book about the proper distinction between law and gospel. Thesis number five is this. The first manner of confounding law and gospel is one most easily recognized and the grossest or the crudest. It is adopted, for instance, by the papist. Now, what we found out, I just almost threw the microphone across the room. What we found out in our last live broadcast listening to Issues ETC is that papist doesn't mean Catholic. It just means anyone who agrees with the anathemas of the Catholic Church and the dogmas of the Catholic Church, but I don't know who that would be other than Catholic. So the whole thing. And then he, he tried to kind of almost argue that Pope Benedict the 16th really wasn't a papist. I, I don't even know that that's no crap then there's a, a group called the so- so- so-, 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 so 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 if I can say their name right. Socinians the Socinians, I just have to slow down, the Socinians, and the Socinians, they called them the teddy bear people. The Socinians are those who, I guess, don't really believe in the wrath of God, didn't believe Christ satisfied the wrath of God, don't really believe in con- condemnation. So the Socinians, they, they are guilty of this um, confusing, confounding long gospel. Then the rationalist and 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 they say this is all of these groups of people throughout church his, history the papists the socinians and the rationalists they all basically adopted this idea that Christ is represented as a new moses or lawgiver and the gospel is turned into a doctrine of meritorious works while at the same time those who teach that the gospel is the message of the free grace of god and christ are condemned and anathema, anathematized as done by the papists so the bottom line is what we're trying to figure out is exactly how are they confounding law and gospel in this thesis? And it sounds like the first way is by basically referring to Christ as a lawgiver, right? As a lawgiver. And I, and I, I think there's some tangible ways in which Christians do that, that they, um, Oh, and then somehow uh, bringing in meritorious works into the gospel. Okay, I think Christians definitely do that. We've talked about it. And that they anathematize basically anyone who teaches free grace. I think we can see these three play out in modern times in 2023 in the American Evangelical Church. But he—I he, don't even know what they've done. So we're going to go back to the audio, and hopefully in this next segment, we can get somewhere— Beneficial, and I ap- apologize for having a problem with the word Socinians. I do apologize for that. Papists, rationalists, I got all of those right. But um, yeah, I mean, right this, at this point, I'm so frustrated. And I do apologize that little, we we, there was a segment in the last broadcast where I was playing them, but I wasn't listening to them. I was looking up all these articles about Pope Benedict the 16th and the different things he said about salvation because I thought about just saying what what are you talking about you read one quote but what about all of these quotes but because I was trying to do the research in real time I wasn't listening to what he said about the Socinians or the rationalists because I because in, in the way I approach when I teach this thesis my approach is not really to bring up Papists, Socinians or rationalists and try to get into these groups because I want to take these problems. I just want to say these issues have been, they, many groups throughout church history have adopted these but I want to take these problems and try to show how they're present in the modern church, not so much in the Socinians, the Rationalists, or the Papists. Because we obviously agree. We already we agree that we are we disagree with the Roman Catholic gospel, right? We all as as non Catholics, we agree with that. The only time I ever want to go back to the Catholic system and mention it is when I can demonstrate that you're doing the same thing Catholics are doing. So I typically don't read that entire sentence in this thesis. I just I leave out the Socinians, the Rational I I don't mention them, so I don't I'm not used to reading the word in any way shape or form no excuse I should still be able to know how to you know say it correctly but the point is is um, I I just focus on this so when he did that weird thing about the papists I was like I'm over here looking at this and the audio is playing. And next thing you know, the whole segment's over. So part of it, maybe a part of it was a train wreck is my own fault. But man, alive! we're going to try to fix it all now. So are you ready? We're going to go back to Issues ETC. It's a Lutheran radio program. We're only utilizing the audio in between their commercial breaks. And we're doing only using it for one episode at a time, which does make these very short and succinct, which I think has been nothing but beneficial and beautiful up to part 16, where I just have no idea what they were thinking in that segment. The whole thing went wrong. But guess what? Things go wrong for me all the time. So I don't want to be too condemning of that. I just I just wasn't expecting it. I was, I was thinking, okay, where are they going to take this? And then I, I, it, yeah, it went crazy. So let's hope for something better. You ready? Here we go.
0: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Monday, June the 19th, it's part five of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel with Pastor Will Whedon. Will, Walther broaches a somewhat, even even at his time, a sensitive subject, and that is the subject of the Antichrist in addressing this way of mingling law and gospel. Yeah. I mean, he makes a very flat statement that there is no question that most Lutherans, even in his day— they no longer believed the pope to be the Antichrist. And when, when he says this, he acknowledges how hard it is to understand, and he gives the reasons why people have a hard time grabbing it. He also starts with some statistics. I want to do those first because that's really kind of fascinating. He, he says that there were basically a billion, 400 million human beings at his time, with about 400 million of those, not quite one third of the race in uh, professing faith in the Savior. Uh, in our time, it's 8 billion, and then um, it is approximately the same number. It's, it's thought to be 31.2% of the world's population is Christian. So it's fascinating to me that moving all this time later, the, the actual percentage vis-a-vis the whole population is is pretty much the same. Um, interestingly enough, the number of Roman Catholics is one2 billion. And that church remains outsized compared to everybody else on the planet, every other Christian church on the planet. They're just so much bigger. And with so many Christians there, there's an honest uh, drive, I think, on the part of Christian people to want to sort of soft pedal um, the things that divide.
1: Okay, I'm just so confused with this whole segment. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's 1.2 billion Catholics. Now, he said so many Christians there. Is he saying that you can be within the Catholic Church, believe their teaching, and be saved? And if you believe that, then why are you even a Lutheran? Just go back to the Catholic Church. I don't understand. Their gospel is anathema to our—look, either our gospel is anathema or their gospel is anathema. It's two different gospels. One is based off the free, the finished work of Jesus Christ and an imputed righteousness. One is based off an infused righteousness and our works that go along with it. I I, I don't understand how there's so many, there's so many Christians in the Roman Catholic Church. What are you, what are you talking? I don't understand. I don't understand. What are you talking about? How can you be a member? Because to be a member of the Roman Catholic Church, at least to some level, you are acknowledging their gospel, their teaching on salvation. And if you believe their entire sol- their teaching on salvation is completely inherently wrong, well, why would you be there? You would flee it faster than you would a burning building. I I,
0: I don't understand.
1: Remember, at at the Council of Trent, they anathematized us, and let's be fair. Throughout the Protestant the history of Protestant Reformation or the history of the non-Catholic Church, we have anathematized their gospel. So we both anathematized each other. There, there's no like, well, hey, they could be Christians over there, not not if they believe their, that gospel because it's a different gospel. I don't, I don't get it
0: and to stress the things that that are shared. And at Walter's time, too, he sort of goes through the list. He's like, well, you know, come on. We'll admit that the popes in the Middle Ages were sometimes really awful, wretched men. Um, and, and, and even Rome will admit that they were swallowed up by hell. But he goes on to talk about, look, the papacy holds to the three ecumenical creeds, at the opening session and solemn organization of the Council of Trent in 1545, those three creeds were recited, you know, the same three creeds that began the Book of Concord. You know, the popes, they, 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 they believed the Bible of the Old and New Testament to be the revealed word of God. They believe God's triune, Christ to be God, and man in one person, the Savior of the world. Luther called these the Supreme or the the High Articles of the Divine Majesty in the small called articles that are really not in dispute between any Orthodox Christians. These are things which we all confess. And he says, we're also told that uh, the popes confess that there's going to be a future resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a last judgment before which all men will be cited. There's going to be a heaven and a hell. Far then from being the dominion of the Antichrist, these people say, the papacy is rather a powerful dam shutting out the fearful deluge of unbelief that has come down on the Christian church. This idea was really popular toward the, well, in Walter's time there, at the, at the middle to the end of the uh, 19th century. Rome is sort of the, holding the barbarians at the gates, if you will. And he says the problem then is, that, uh, is, is what people are seeing and thinking about the role of Antichrist. And he says the chief reason People fail to consider what it means when the Pope claims to be the vice-regent of Christ on earth and the visible head of the entire Christian church. In order to be this, of course, he has to profess many Christian doctrines. He has to put on a mask. Otherwise, Antichrist could not possibly exist in the middle of the Christian church. Moreover, he has to declare war against the enemies of all religions and against the enemies of the Christian religion to support his claim of being vice-regent of Christ. He knows when Christ falls, any Christ too falls. But when he falls, whose vice-regent the Pope claims to be, there's an end to the vice-regency. When the Pope apparently fights for Christ and the Christian church, what he's fighting for is himself and his own dominion. And Walther sees the great Characteristic of the Antichrist, particularly in the way the Pope literally defines a word, and that word is gospel. The fourth session in a preamble to its decree, the Council of Trent, it says, The most holy, ecumenical, and universal Council of Trent, lawfully convened in the Holy Spirit, always bearing in mind to remove errors and to preserve in the church the purity of the gospel, that is, that which was first promised by the holy prophets in their writings, then preached with his own mouth by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then commanded to be preached to all creatures by his apostles, both as the source of all saving truth and a moral norm. Now, Walter admits that the preamble doesn't sound too bad, but he really wants you to think about that hearing the gospel defined as including a moral norm. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting it's he's
1: still taking this in an interesting direction. I still but again, if, if, if they define the gospel as a moral norm, they're adding law to the gospel. They add law to the gospel. Then the gospel is no longer gospel. It is law. But let me make it very clear. They do, they do so more than just referring to it as a moral norm. They do so because they believe we're justified by an infused righteousness. They believe that then that righteousness has to be maintained by our own good works in the sacraments of the church. They mean that by, if we commit a mortal sin, that we're no longer in a state of grace. Like they've turned it into a works space system. Therefore, their gospel's anathema way before they called it a moral norm. Now, the fact that they re- reference it as a moral norm should scare you to death because many of your evangelical brothers and sisters and the Lord, they also treat the gospel as a moral norm or a moral standard or they add morality and law to it. That's when it becomes a problem. So, uh, but they, they, <laughs> okay, let, let's just see where he goes with this. All right uh I, I, I yeah exactly so i, I it uh someone in uh, chat put a moral norm or else and they have a a, a little picture of a sword yeah that that definitely <laughs> If you go back at certain points in church history, that's definitely the way it was. But even outside of Roman Catholicism, you can go back to different uh, places uh, where Christianity established almost— they almost wanted to establish their own little theocracy. And if you came into their community with not holding to what they believe, you could end up finding yourself being stoned to death or hung or whatever the case may be. But that's a whole different issue. But, okay, let's see where they take this. It's still— I don't know. It just seems like something's off here from the way I would approach this thesis, but that's okay. Maybe their approach is far more helpful. You can go back and listen to the way we approach this thesis, but I mean, let I was hoping that we kind of, so far, they've kind of followed the basic track as the thesis reads. This one is interesting, but let's see where they take
0: it. So when they hear Christ say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, they are hearing Christ instructing his preachers to go and spread a moral norm, that the, the moral teaching, if you will, of Christ. And this is hugely problematic. Canon 21, adopted at the sixth session. It decrees. Listen to these words. If anyone says that Jesus Christ has been given by God to men, that he should be their redeemer in whom they are to trust, and not also their lawgiver, whom they are to obey. Let him be anathema. Walter says, This decree overthrows Christian religion completely. If Christ came into the world to publish new laws to us, we should feel like saying that he might as well have stayed in heaven. Moses had already given us so perfect a law that we couldn't fulfill it. Now if Christ gives us additional laws, that would have to drive us to despair.
1: Now, amen there. Now, that's the Council of Trent, though. So don't try to tell me people in the Catholic Church who hold to this teaching is anywhere close to to being a Christian because they hold to a false gospel. That anathematizes the gospel. Christ came to also give us a law as a law. If he came to give us law, we are condemned. Any law Christ speaks, it's only there to drive us to the gospel. And what he does is simply, in a sense, explain. Uh, uh, help us understand the law of Moses in a more, more full and clear way and understanding the law of Moses was demanding something far more than an external obedience, but even an internal obedience. But so many Christians treat it this way, that the gospel is a moral standard, that it's a law and we connect it with it. And that's why you say, hey, no, 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 Christ is just not your Savior. He has to be this and this, and you have to obey this, and you have to obey this, or he's not, he's not really your Savior. No, he came to save me, and he fulfilled everything that is demanded for me. So I, I'm in agreement with this, And but this sounds not just like Roman Catholicism. sounds like a lot of the evangelical Christian world.
0: And then he really lights onto what I think is his uh, great insight here. And that is the term gospel itself contradicts this view of the Papists. We know Christ himself has called his word gospel. He says in Mark 16, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But in order that the meaning which he connected with the word gospel might be understood, he states the contents of the gospel in very concrete terms. Listen, I love this. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. That's the gospel. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. If the teaching of Christ were a law, it would not be an oi angolan, a glad tiding. It would be a sad tiding. It's a a very, uh, I think, profound insight into uh, the very word gospel itself. He moves back then to the Old Testament, and he says, look, you already see it. Look at the first gospel, Genesis 3.15. What is it? That the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior is not to come for the purpose of telling us what we are to do, what works we are to perform in order to escape from the terrible dominion of darkness, sin, and death. These feats the Messiah is not going to leave for us to accomplish, but that he himself shall bruise the serpent's head. That means nothing else than this. He is going to be the one who will destroy the kingdom of the devil. All that man has to do is know that he's been redeemed, that he's been set free from his prison, that he has no more to do than to believe and accept the message and rejoice over it with all his heart. It is as if the text read, he will save you. That would not be so comforting. Or even if it read, you must believe in him. We would be at a loss to know what is meant by this faith. But this Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel in Genesis, was the fountain from which the believers in the Old Testament drew their comfort. It was important for them to know there is one coming who will not tell us what we must do to get to heaven. No, the Messiah will do all himself to bring us there. I love that line. That mirrors the beautiful uh, preface in the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, where uh, Chrysostom has you know, you did not cease to do all things until you had brought us up to heaven and endowed us with the kingdom which is to come. That's exactly the spirit in which, uh, Chrysostom rejoiced in the gospel. And it's the spirit in which Walter is here rejoicing in the gospel, a gospel of things done. At the conference, I preached on that beautiful text All things are ready. Come. <laughs> You know, you, you, you need to supply no side dishes. He's taking care of everything. He is the main course. He prepares the main course and he offers it to us. It's a beautiful thing.
1: And that 100% agreement, Christ did it all. Believe. Now, of course, they t- we can get into the famous passage in Mark about believe and be baptized and you will be saved. And so is baptism required for salvation? We can get into all of that. But just note Just note that in the Lutheran church, or at least the way I was taught, well, you're baptized, you're saved, but you may lose your salvation, which then, wait a minute, then you have to do something in order. So then they, they contradict themselves in many ways, or at least, at least the way I was taught within the Lutheranism. They, I, something definitely went way, way wrong. The point is, Christ did it. We are saved. We are saved. Now, I would argue we are saved and that we're baptized, which is a symbol of that salvation. The baptism does not produce it or make it happen, and we could have a long discussion about that, but that would turn into a discussion about baptism. Go listen to our, on, our series that we did on baptism in the early church, and we talked about many of these issues. Um, and we can discuss them later. But the point is, the gospel is what Christ did for you. Christ did it. Christ accomplished it. If you add works of any kind to it, you anathematize. You, 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 you basically are obliterating. You're, you're basically calling the gospel of grace anathema because you're adding something to it, and you can't add anything to being saved by the free grace of Christ. You can't. But we always want to.
0: Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's part five of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. On the other side of the break, Walther also says, if we make the gospel and Christ another rule giver and another set of rules, then Christianity is no different than any other religion.
1: And that ends that segment. These segments are quick. I'm still just baffled that... um, Yeah. I mean, if you actually read God's knowing God's yes, I, yeah, I, I don't know. They still took it in a very interesting direction, but I, 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 will, I think what we need to take from this, and I think this is very, very, very important. I don't know why he kind of made that claim that he kind of made that made no sense to me. So let me just try to articulate this as dogmatic as I can say. There is no way that anyone who's a Catholic, who holds to the Catholic gospel is saved if the gospel of grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone is right. If our gospel is right, then they cannot be saved because it's a false gospel. Right? Does that make sense? It's not about which church they're a member of. I'm saying if they hold to that gospel. Now, if the Catholic church is right, then we are not saved because our gospel is not sufficient to save us because we are not doing everything we're supposed to do in order to be saved. All right. So it it's an either or proposition. Both cannot be right. Now, some people will say, so, but if someone was in the Catholic church, I mean, could they not possibly be saved? I mean, you can throw out the hypothetical that there is this Catholic sitting somewhere going to mass week after week after week, participating in the mass, but they don't really believe anything the Catholic Church teaches about salvation, They, they, they reject it all, but they keep going to Catholic Church week after week after week after week after week. Now, my issue is, why are you going to a church that's literally teaching an anathematized gospel? You think at some point you would leave. So why are they going? So, well, they're going for their girlfriend. They're going for their spouse. They're, okay, maybe that's the case. Okay, maybe, but those are, I mean, those are hypothetical. If you know of a real situation, the point is, I don't, I don't really care. I'm not going to get focused on which church they go to. What do they believe about salvation? Do they believe they are a they are a sinner and God's law condemns them. They cannot keep it. They cannot obey it. They cannot do anything in order to obtain salvation. And salvation is by grace alone in which Christ's righteousness is imputed unto them, not infused. If they start talking about it and start bringing in any of the Catholic language, then of course, that's not the same gospel. Both can't be right. Both, are, both could be wrong, but both cannot be right. They could be right and we could be wrong or we could be right. And they could be wrong or we both could be wrong, but there's no way. There's one option. Both cannot be right. So it was a little confusing. It's like, there's so many Christians there and you're like, and then he goes on to tell you, well, they, the, at the Catholic church, at the council of Trent, basically anathematized the true gospel. Oh, I know they did. And basically, they definitely did. So, but there could be, I like I it's so, it's like he wouldn't, he couldn't just commit himself to say what needs to be said. What needs to be said is that's not a true gospel. If our gospel is right, I'm more than willing to 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 acknowledge we could be the ones that are wrong. I don't believe we are, but we could be. My concern is how that Catholic concepts, that Catholic ideas some um, show up in non-Catholic churches where they turn Christ into a lawgiver, they turn the gospel into a moral system, and they add morality and law-keeping to the gospel. Now, they may not say, and when I say they add the law keeping to the gospel, they they will, of course, the non-Christians will say all the time, you don't do it in order to get, sa- to get saved, but you do it in order to prove that you're saved. Because if you don't do it, you're not saved, which means you have to do it in order to be saved. And then you're telling me the proof of my salvation is not what Christ did, but what I'm doing, which anathematizes the gospel and you've added law to it. You've just, you've just added, you've just taken the gospel, the Catholic system, and you kind of just re- reworked it and think you can change it up just slightly and you're, well, oh, we're good to go. No, you can't add anything to the gospel. The gospel is the story of what Christ did. It is done. It is finished. And by faith, his work is imputed, accredited to your account. The point is, when we get to this subject, it gets so sensitive because you realize there's no compromise on this. The gospel is either this or the gospel is either that. And what we want to do is like, well, I mean, we may disagree a little bit. No, 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 no. The gospel is either this is the gospel or either that is the gospel they both can't be right. And there are competing gospels within evangelicalism. There's clearly competing gospels between the the quote-unquote non-Catholic Protestant world and the Catholic world. There are competing gospels. They're not the same. That is what should we should be concerned with. All right. I don't know if 17 helped this whole their whole approach has been so weird to this uh thesis. I don't know why they're going the way they're going. I don't know. We've only we probably maybe have three more segments. I'm not going to do any more today cuz that at least gets us a little closer, but wow. What a what a weird 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 approach um to this. It just seems so odd the way they want to handle it. I don't know why they're doing that way, but that's 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 okay. All right. Email me, <laughs> i f at yahoo.com. That's i f at yahoo.com. That's i f at yahoo.com. I don't know what I messed up in this episode. My mind is, it's hard for me to follow along with what they're doing because I keep going like, I'm trying to figure out where they're going. Because I'm looking here at, you know, L- Walther Law, the you know, the book, God's Knowing God's Yes. And I'm like, okay, ooh, that paragraph, they, ooh, they could do a lot of work with this paragraph. Ooh, they could do a lot of work with, and they did do a little bit with the third paragraph here. I don't know. they It's just so odd the way it's going, but who knows? There may be a method to their madness, and maybe by the time I get to their last segment, I'll, I'll stop and go, oh, wow, that's brilliant. They they did it. So, you know, I need to be patient and let it play itself out. All right. News. if at yahoo.com. That's news. if at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great Saturday evening. God bless.